0: So, this is a weekend on unseating the inner tyrant, uh, and I, I imagine that most of you must have some idea what this is about, otherwise you wouldn't be here. You probably have uh, some intuitions or some recognitions of what the inner tyrant experience is. Uh It's a sense of something uh, something that drives drives and doesn't nourish. Some inequality that drives us and doesn't nourish us, doesn't think of looking after us. Something that sets up a lot of goals that uh, it's unlikely you'll ever be able to achieve. <laughs> uh, something that um, says you should a lot of the time. It sets up a lot of compulsions, saying you should, you ought to, and it also talks in terms of it must be done, not I want to do it, but it must be, it should be, they want me to. It uses terms like never and always. You're always like this, you're never like that, goes like that uh, it's a voice of uh, recrimination it's uh, a sound and a, and a mood that is uh, sees you with no without any love or grace the sense of the um, you didn't quite make it, and you're not likely to make it. A worthlessness, or a diminution of worth. And with this comes the sense of that there could be a way out of this if you just tried a bit harder, or did something to change yourself, or fix yourself, or stop being like this, or be more like that, then you'd be okay. But you never actually are able to do that. Mm. The meditation meditators often begin to get a more of a fuller sense of this, particularly because we're in the rather absurd paradigm of meditation, and there's actually nothing to achieve and nothing to do. Uh. It's about peace and uh, love, and value, and presence, present moment. Now, in the present moment, there can't be anything to achieve, because that has to be in the future. So, when we come into meditation, and we sit with this set of paradigms about being peaceful, about opening, uh, being present, nothing much to do right now, just be here, and we suddenly hit this kind of wave, of energy that is pushing and pressing and uh, bringing up first of all maybe all kinds of things we should be doing right now outside of meditation, things we should have done and got to do, have to do. Perhaps when we go a little further it tells us what kind of things we should be doing in meditation. We should be attaining this stage, this level, this quality, this experience. Uh, There's a pressure to it, a lot of of that. And because, uh, and at that particular moment, as this is occurring, there's this kind of shadow feeling of, well, you you, you should get to this, you should get to that, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. So right now, there's something wrong with you. You're not good enough as you are. Uh, And uh, so this is how it starts, meditation. After a few years of trying this and that and the other, and not actually being able to really get rid of this experience of inner demand and tyranny, the conclusion we come to is actually there's all kinds of things you should have done by now, and a stage you should be at by now, for goodness sake, after all the teachings and all that, and all the consultations, and all the books, and all the time you've said that surely you should by now, so there must be something really wrong with you. Because <laughs> you haven't, have you? <laughs> and you know what that means, there's something wrong with you. There is the immediate, uh, that's the immediate retirement ret- response, you may not have this, but I'm just pointing out the particular syndrome because there's something wrong with you. The way we'll, we'll respond to that is we'll add a little bit of punishment. <laughs> that always works. <laughs> that will make you feel real good. So the punishment could be just the nagging self of blame and to remember the things you've, you regret about your life. Bring up those. Go through those for a while. Remember the rotten things you did to other people. Stay with that for a while. and there are some rotten things they did to you, stay with that for a while. (laughs) So, it becomes a kind of global global view of of, uh, meaninglessness or pain or worthlessness. (coughs) So, then it gets pretty difficult to meditate if you're going to go into this territory, sit there, and uh, it's quite amazing, and perhaps even one could say one has to offer a certain amount of respect the human mind for we can stay with this syndrome for years and years and years and still go back to sit, to meditate and sit there and take another uh, hiding <laughs> take another dose of it <laughs> you yeah. So in meditation, we probably begin to see this, it stands out more starkly than maybe in daily life, where the goals look far more uh, pragmatic and external, like, you know, get a job, uh, get a house, get a something or the other, mm. and there's this kind of movement, and there kind of little payoffs we get with these, whenever we get to one of these things, this kind of moment of, ah, yeah, you know, which lasts for a while. But uh, then, one, then, of course, one is not satisfied with that, so we change it, make it more upward, onward, further, and so forth. So it takes us to the whole kind of syndrome of what samsara means, which means it's not necessarily actually you know, directly miserable or agonising. It can be. But it's fundamentally not at rest. It's not contented. It's not, it's a, it's not appreciative you know. At any time, I would reckon the easiest thing for the mind to do, for my mind to do, is to notice what's wrong. You know. I've already decided what's wrong with New York. I've only been here half an hour. If <laughs> <laughs> I stay longer, I'll probably add to the list you know, what's wrong. It's very easy. To decide what's wrong to figure what's wrong with the situation. To actually acknowledge what's right about it takes a bit of effort. <laughs> the mind doesn't doesn't go that way, inclined that way. Because what's you know, what's the good? What's the harmless? What's the the non hurt of the situation? What's the non non abuse it that's yeah. happening, you know? What's the the uh, you know what the, the good things that are happening we're not you know we always can think how it could be better but to recollect how it could be worse is a lot more difficult for us so you see the whole bent is of that syndrome is it always takes you away from where there perhaps could be a place where you felt a little more restful and contented and hey you know this is rather, nobody's, nobody's hurting me you know it's rather not nice. <laughs> And I've got some food to eat and I've got shot Where you could well yeah, this bit is good. Yeah. yeah. Where you can actually dwell in something good and settle in that and let the mind and the heart take that in and feel relaxed and at ease with that. The tyrant syndrome takes us out of that to focus on categorizations of discontent, categories of discontent. Um, and the end product of the discontent is, is, is a kind of uh, a failed person who ends up taking the bill for the whole thing. This is the um, experience. And you may have all kinds of details um, and your own particular takes on this, the stories the tyrant tells you. And it's, so i say, it's just to try a little bit harder, a little bit further, yeah, but you don't actually get there, mm. following that, anyway. So there are essentially the big, big um, focuses for this particular syndrome is do it, make it, fix it, get going. It's a volitional thing. Going, uh, achievement, performance. Get there quick, fast, uh, cheap, whatever it is, <laughs> least pain, quick, and get their good. Competitive achievement, performance, uh, and a, 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 a self-assessment at the end of it. Whether you how good you did. Uh, and this may sound so kind of, well, normal that we don't even recognise it for what it is. Yeah. Do you see the kind of restlessness, agitation, competition uh, and eventual inability to f- achieve or experience fulfilment. So, of course, as I've suggested, we can... The tyrant can easily co-opt dharma practice, can easily take that over. Dharma practice can become another uh, pursuit, tyrannized pursuit, with its uh, lamentable results. It always takes us out of the place of appreciation and non-categorization. Into something that's kind of open, free, nameless, formless, doesn't go anywhere. And this actually is the the accomplishment of a fulfilment of meditation. Is not in terms of self assessment. It's it's uh, it's neither self nor not. It's just you know the self doesn't come into it. Essentially, it's a kind of open, uh, fulfilled, um, sort of non. Non-definite. It's not. It's not got boundaries to it. There's room for me. There's room for you. There's room for this sound, this sight, this thought in within that. And we can, There's a sense of being able to to receive, respond, allow things to change. Mm. So this is kind of what we're moving, or we're bringing up as a as an emblem of meditation. Certainly, there is a certain. There's there's doing in meditation it's not that it's completely without doing most of the doing in meditation is just to kind of set things up or come into an alignment or find a way to to slow down or check this volitional push so that we arrive at where we are so a lot of the doing in meditation is just how to undo the compulsive doingness we arrive at a place where the volition rests, the do it rests, you know, restful. So, I'd like to suggest that we consider, apart from meditation as a kind of doing, we can overemphasize that. Meditation also, I suggest, is a place. It's obviously not a physical place, but it's a good way to consider it as a particular realm that you enter, where Certain factors are present, such as kindness, loving-kindness, such as calm, such as uh, conscience and concern, virtue, such as clarity, uh, and certain factors are not in there, such as hatred, aversion, guilt, um, depression, and so forth. So it's a kind of a, a, a place where we are finding this particular place in ourselves. And we have this place. Place of non-suffering or non-stress. The Buddha said there is this place, the the island he called it, the island you cannot go beyond, which is the end of sorrow, lamentation, grief, grief, pain and despair. The end total end of death. The island. This place you can't go beyond. He said there is this place. The refuge, and the way what we begin with in our practice is refuge practice, and the way that's that's what we that's what we end with. If you see what I mean, it's like the the very beginning of the practice is about maybe taking refuge or bringing up aspiration for refuge or recollecting it, and the fulfillment of the practice is the complete fulfillment of refuge. There is a place the ending of suffering, the ending of decay and death, the ending of, of sorrow. There's this place you can go to. is to kind of bear, reflect on it. So, how do you go there? So you come out of the sangsara. Sangsara is these obsessive habits. It's not a place at all. It feels like a place because It's like a a circuit that the heart and mind run around so constantly that it seems like a place. It's a kind of a... But it's always on the move, if you see what I mean. So it's a kind of... It's a track, a circular track uh, that we keep running around. And if you like, the simplification of the Dhamma practice is how to come off the track get off the rails, get off the the beaten path, get off this Sangsaric thing, that's it. If you get off that, that's it. (laughs) You don't have to go somewhere else, you just stop going to that place. And uh, in terms of this particular retreat, then it's to recognise that the Sangsaric track is this tyrant, is this tyrant syndrome in its Verbal forms, we hear this talking voice in the head, muttering, uh, chattering voice. So it's got a verbal aspect to it, which we probably recognize fairly quickly. It has an emotional aspect to it, which is a sense of of, uh, um, inadequacy or trying or not being there yet, or discontentment or blaming. It's got this unsettled unhappy in simple... That's the... Uh, and restless. That's so an unhappiness that just keeps festering and picking up this and picking up that. Restless, uh, trying to make, trying to have. Has this emotional aspect. And what may be not be so clear, and is um, pivotal actually, in my opinion, is has a bodily aspect. Tangsara is embodied. Um... And the, the Buddha famously once, uh, talking to a, a, he was talking to a Devatar actually, a, a spirit, who had been a famous uh, psychic powers person in a previous life, and his ability to walk through the sky, it's called Rohitasa, the great walker, and, uh, and he's saying, where, where is the end of the world, how do you get to the end of the world? As he'd been walking and running he hadn't got to the end of the world yet and the Buddha said you don't get to the end of the world until you you don't get to the end of suffering until you get to the end of the world and, you get, and the world occurs in your body in this fathom long body with its, with its mind and consciousness and feelings is the beginning of the world and the ending of the world so sangsara actually has a is printed if you like coded into the body. You've got certain neural pathways, you might say, or energy systems in the body that are samsaric. Hmm. And you feel these as pressure. Pressure that's not about a particular muscular requirement for pressure, but just sitting and feeling compressed. And something you may have got so used to, we don't even recognise it, because you only really recognise this kind of low-grade pressure when you, when you really relax. Oh, wow. Oh well. Cool. Wow. And I'm not normally like that. Normally I'm a little bit tight, pressurized. There's a pressure quality, it means there's not much space. The sense of space is not apparent. Sense of of uh, limited space. One's in a one is in a pressure of pressure of some kind. That's one aspect of the embodied experience of saying so it's pressurized. Notice it, it's buzzing. It's uh as the energy is kind of Buzzing, buzzing, and bustling. Yeah, it's often sp- spinning, buzzing, and bustling. We feel nervy. We twitch. We play with our fingers. We cross and uncross our legs. We straighten our hair. We straighten our tie. We straighten somebody else's hair. We we pick and fiddle, and you know, it's got this kind of restless quality. Either we physically do it, or we can feel our nerves kind of wanting to do it. That that's the sing thing, um, and it also it tends to. when you try to feel it in your body, it tends to come to the upper body, shoulders, neck, head hmm. is where you, where you live, you know, is where one feels if you actually try to feel out you know, how do no, I know I've got a body you feel it out and you feel this kind of great throbbing pulsing stuff up here a little kind of feeble twitter going on down the legs somewhere, which are more or less redundant most of the time because we've got wheels instead so it's a uh, it's um and sometimes you don't even one doesn't even feel that you don't even have a body you're off in the, the idea either it's a thought or it's a screen you know or it's a, it's a, an emotion or it's just a kind of run of energy you know so particularly when you're dealing with high speed stuff and and stuff on computers and screens where you are is in that energy channel it's just going zap 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 and you know what body is there a body there's a there's a mouse finger you know with repetitive strain syndrome in it and there's not much else you it's a kind of vague sensation around the eyes perhaps the body is is gone so, this uh, loss of body, either partial loss of it, and we don't feel our feet, we don't feel our legs, we don't feel our back. Back easily goes. Um, we just feel head, face, eyes, mouth, hands perhaps. Maybe a little bit up in the shoulders. The rest of it's gone. Either a partial loss of body or almost a complete loss of body. Yeah. we just out. Um, yeah. So when you're having an argument or something, it's just the kind of red stuff is flowing, and uh, the body is gone. Mm-hmm. So it's this this um, is important. It's useful to recognise this because although it's it's a bit um, unpleasant, the one thing about it is it doesn't have a lot of storyline. Whereas you go to the the you start contemplating the emotional patterns of. Discontent or worry or inadequacy, and they produce stories. They say, "Well, yeah, but you know, I can't, and I won't, I never, you know, after all I've done, and then blame me, and I can't believe this is my fault, and I shouldn't have done that." But, you know, it just goes that stuff, and immediately it's it's uh, contagious. Uh, you go up into your head and start thinking about how you should stop thinking and what you can do about not thinking. I really shouldn't be thinking like this after all I've done. You know, it charges up. When you go to the body, it doesn't do that. So, it doesn't have a story. So, this is a very useful way of undercutting um, the, the samsara. Because the when, um, say, you know, the primary meditation practice, the so refuge, the meditation. primary meditation practice is, is body. It's your entry for a very good reason. Because the body acts as a, a storyless um, barometer of what's happening. So if you feel, you know, you can't have a whole, complete, um, easy bodily experience when you're, when you're uptight. You see, even the language we use tells us this uptight, you know, under pressure, get off my back, you know. I'm up to my neck in it. I'm over my head, you know. I'm losing balance. I mean, it's, it's all the very language tell, is telling us, you know, something about our bodily state because there is, definitely is a bodily re- echo that goes along with this stuff which seems to be either emotional or psychological or, or conceptual. And this, in a way, is, is a very useful key to, to getting out Sangsara, to undermining this tyrant strategy, there's a wisdom in the body, uh, natural wisdom in the body. And my suggestion is that perhaps one of the reasons why the tyrant is having such good, doing such good business these days is so many people feel themselves a fundamentally lack of worth needing to do or be or fix or change or get a new head or something in order to feel okay is because uh, a huge proportion of the time, large portion of the time a large number of us are pretty much disembodied not totally and of course we're actually not disembodied but we're not consciously embodied, we're not really with that, the bodily experience because, and this isn't anybody's fault particularly, it's just because of the way our lives run, and is that you know, most of our stuff we're dealing with abstract stuff. Futures, prices, stock exchange money, destinations, projects, you know, which is, the body doesn't know any of that. It yeah? doesn't know that stuff. And this is where, say, most people are going to be living in this particular territory the zone where all this um, disembodying stuff is is the prime um, prime territory mm-hmm. you know you go to a subway and it was rushing and get there yeah. nobody's actually just where they are walking down the stairs you know, hello is the ticket person you know, there's the, the loss of of, of body because everything is the, the head and the ideas lead. So this, this loss of body is a, um, uh, you know, a feature, a prominent feature of, of modern life. Now just to be clear that um, Buddhism, or well, Buddha's teaching is an embodied teaching, he taught mindfulness of body, uh, and, you know, there are ways in which the Buddha talked us out of the body because most of us take the body to be just the, really the, the skin. or you know, the, the particular arrangement of skin and hair on top of it is the, is the important bit. You know. that's, that's our face, that's our meeting place. And uh, so the Buddha very much saying, well, forget this stuff. This stuff is the stuff, the bad news, actually. Yeah. Because it, it changes and it breaks up and it, uh, it's impermanent and you just can't keep it going. And so this is not stuff to really make a big thing out of. Of course, this is what people do make the big thing out of. You know, is the, the shape, the physique, the skin, you know, the basic appearance of it. And, you know, so for, say, the media body is this. Get yourself a new body. You know. And the Buddha said, this really isn't worth that much. You know, There's something in it, but not that much. The main experience of body, and the, vi- and the important aspect of body, is the energy of the body, the vitality of it, the life force. Um, so that, for example, in meditation, you come to a quality of bodily energy which it, where the entire body becomes suffused with rapture, and ease. You know, so the Buddha said, "This is, I encourage you to do this, to actually saturate your entire body with a quality of, of ease and happiness. That rather nice. So, you know, and this is a kind of important thing to get because I would suggest that, particularly if one's coming from a Christian or a, a quasi-Christian Background, body is the flaw, the sin, the flesh, the carnal—you know—the guilty one. And the idea is to get out of it and go to some disembodied state upstairs somewhere. So you've got this kind of sense of the guilt. Body is associated with guilt, and it's a little bit carnal and and, uh, greedy and lustful, and so forth. So. And we can sometimes transpose that onto, onto the Buddha's teaching, but it isn't the case. So, our, some of our primary practices for this weekend, we'll be actually feeling the body more fully and using things like breathing, breathing in and out, which bodies do, by themselves, even for bad people. They still keep doing it. So this again is a, is a kind of avenue out. You know, Good people breathe, bad people breathe. Failures breathe, successes breathe. We all breathe and there's only two bits of breathing in and breathing out. It's free, it happens by itself. You don't have to be good at it. No. Hmm. So, and when the Buddha presented this and say, this I find this to be a, 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 a practice of great ease. Uh, but of course, Tyrant easily co ops that says, Well, you've got to get good at breathing in and out, right? <laughs> so we'll make a thing out of it, you know. And essentially get up in your head and try and focus on this breathing. You know? yeah. So you come to the, to the up to your head, probably up into your nose somewhere, forget the rest of it, go into your ideal semi embodied state. Which is up in your head, and try and focus on breathing up there, and you go right into tyrant terentri- territory. Hmm? Yeah. Pressure, a lot of pressure. Get it right. I want to have unwavering mindfulness. Right? Nice high goal, impossible to achieve. That that will wreck you for a start. Unwavering mindfulness in your least advantaged state, and uh, uh, and so th- then you know this is what we do. This is a kind of how you can make a tyranny out of mindfulness of breathing. So much so that you you know you can come off and retreat and oh wow. Oy. I could, I really need a breather now. I need a fresh some fresh air after all that I'm just all that breathing in and out. <laughs> and you feel much better and you breathe much more easily when you're not being mindful of it. <laughs> So, you know, mindfulness again becomes something that, that gets tyrannised as a, as a demand, as a do it, as a be good at it, as a, this is going to you know, get more and more mindful to you the bell rings or the, the, the sky is open or something. You know, so it gets into this performance, competition, achievement, goal, stress, pressure, drive, get there or, you know, get the the punishment, you know, or pay the cost of being a meditative failure. Someone who's not mindful. So, I I suggest that we uh, just kind of overhaul some of these uh, ways in which we meditate. Some of the things I suggest you know, are perhaps slightly playful, uh, maybe slightly outrageous. Sometimes they ch- uh, they challenge some of the values. Um, yeah, but my feeling is, sometimes you've got to play dirty. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you, when the tyrant's taken over most, you've got to kind of do what you can to get out of it yeah. Yeah. but it'll be relatively clean we're going to keep, keep precepts and a loving kindness at all times <laughs> but I hope to address things like the, the sense of pressure the drive, the self estimation mm. The relational relationship essentially between that which seems to be doing or watching and that which is watched and done. You know, there's a relationship there, yeah. which needs to be, uh, you know, opened out to something that's more loving and gracious. So, in terms of body, also in terms of body, we'll be I'll be offering some very simple. Um, aspects of kumnye, which is a Tibetan form of energy work. It doesn't look—it's not very energetic. Doesn't, you're not jumping up and down. You don't need bike or sneakers or anything. It's a, it's a very, very placid form. Um, you know, I, so because um, to the start we haven't got any room to do anything more. And this, this involves, it's actually something that works on, it has several layers of it. First of all, it works on particular muscular tension, on releasing muscular tension. So it's got, and so it's got that kind of quality of just loosening up some of the impacted or compacted places in the body, particularly around the upper body. And it, 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 it gets us into feeling the quality of, of subtle energy in the body. Now, I must just emphasize when I mean energy, I don't mean energy that's about doing. It's not power energy. it's not thrust energy. you know you may even find the word energy perhaps isn't what what you want uh, what works for you. It's a quality of a kind of of um, dynamic. you might say vitality might be better you know. quality of subtle vitality. so we we start to reach into this and with this we begin to also access particular emotional states or the basis of emotional states, which in fact correspond in some ways to the compactedness. So when we feel compacted and tense, it's maybe something like fear is there, anger is there, doubt is there, guilt is there, or whatever. Something's actually tightening us up, and we get that. So as we start to release this, we begin to come through some of those states. And open them out and allow them to to pass. So it's an energy work. we will be doing this? Also, some practices directly about the what might say the heart level, chitta, fundamentally refuge and loving kindness or metta, metta karuna, Vihara, and uh, something also about the way we think. Thinking mechanism. So, so, you see, in, in the Buddha's analysis, you have these three fundamental patternings, you know, sankharas, which, if you like, are, you might say, a neural patterning. One is the body pattern, which is the sense which tells you you've got a body. It's the throb, it's the pulse, it's the pressure, it's the sinking, it's the tightening, it's the racing, it's the warm, it's cool, it's this. You know, this is a pattern pattern that every morning when you wake up, you sense that oh, I'm here. This is what this is. This is the, my location. I'm in this stuff. You know, I'm not. I'm not the clock. I'm not the wall. I'm this stuff that feels this. So this is the a repeated pattern that you recognize, which you sense as your body. And when you feel sick, it feels different. And when you feel you're out of balance, it feels different, and so forth. So this is a pattern. Pattern of of energy and sensations. It's called Kaya Sankara. This is the first pattern that, that is affected by the tyrant You know, base, base of it. The chitta, chitta sankara, or the, the patterning of the heart is to do with emotion, obviously. but also apart of emotion is to do with um, um, meaning, if you like, or very fundamental meaning, or what things mean to us. Sanya, which means something like the significance, the sign of something. So that's friendly, that's unfriendly, that's um, um, disgusting, that's beautiful, that's uplifting. Yeah, it's that. That's that's the kind of disc quality. This is also heart. It's also concerned involved with volition, which means it's the impulse to do. So, because we're affected and we get some significance, we get a feel, a sense of this is um, pleasant, or this is um, agreeable, or this is skillful, or this is desirable. Then we go. So you get this push. All that is the is the is the pattern of the heart. And sometimes we can, you can, different people have different, different patternings. You know, you can be something very impulsive, zap. You know, get out there, bang. You know, you only get a slight touch of a trigger and you're off or someone is going, well, maybe I, but then I could, perhaps should be, but on the other hand, maybe well, I don't think I've what was I talking about? You know, faltering. You get the impulse is, is, goes another way. So there's different patterning. And the third aspect is the verbal or thinking system which produces all, which is the particular thought patterns that you recognise. You hear this voice This is not a pattern. So what we take as mind in Buddhism actually refers to what we might probably call heart. So so citta is probably more accurately described as heart. It's the centre of impulse and mood. Very important aspect of being. So So, um, tonight, as is appropriate, taking refuge, going to refuge, going to the good place, leaving the stuff behind, leaving the stuff outside, leave the impressions of oneself, gently take those off like you're taking your coat off. Just You can get back to that later, you can pick up the story later, you know leave it outside There's definitely going to refuge means leaving something else <laughs> yeah. so make the determination to leave something behind um, leave a habit behind leave a uh, 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 self-definition behind yeah. and the more you can consciously leave behind in a, in a careful way like that's enough now then the more fully refuge appears the sense of the space for me. Um, I'm allowed here, the space for me here. I can stay here. Safe place. Refuge as an experience is the place of No pressure. It's a place of no history. It's a place of no future. And in Buddha Dharma, we go to that refuge, or one way we can go to that refuge classically is through Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. Buddha, so both recollecting Buddha. And the sense of Buddha awakened, the awakened, the joyful, the compassionate one. Dharma, the truth, that which is available in the present moment, available to all of us, inviting us, saying, please come here. You know, it's sort of almost beckoning into the present. Dharma. Sangha, this is about human beings. And it's about um, all of us as human beings, it's the humanization. We're not going to something abstract, theoretical, ethereal, otherworldly. It's about about this. And it's about living as full human beings. Um, And also the sense, of course, of a community. That which is human, truly human in me, is that which is truly human in you and we can meet and acknowledge the human in each other and through that receive strength and receive um, uh, guidance. Just as if one is associating with the situation where people are taken over by frenzy, or violence or fear, it's, it's easy to get caught in that oneself. self if one is a situation where people are inclining towards the, the truthful, the loving the patient, the upright then one's heart easily inclines that way this is the benefit of Sangha so take some time just recollecting yeah yeah okay. so just spend a little time in recollection and then, uh, considering these things. Recollection is a part of uh, preparation for meditation. And you might, in fact, just take one piece. You know, and just to recollect, the skill of it is It's not a tremendous amount of thought, it's just taking a piece of thought and letting it touch your heart. It's that which connects your thought to your heart. So, uh, and this may be something we've lost because we get so many words and ideas, they they just skim through. But just taking something like um, what would it be like if you were in the presence of a being who completely accepted you as you are, and wished for your welfare, what would that feel like? Just to bring that into mind, what would that feel like? Could we imagine that? Can you even sort of visualise something of that nature? So you just take a little bit and find a bit that resonates for you, and just see if you can actually dwell in that. What would it be like if we were with people who, when we failed or made mistakes, said, I'll help you rather than you idiot? What would, what would that feel like? Wouldn't that be a, a relief Being be in that situation? Take a little bit of sangha and recollect it. Yeah. What would it be like if uh, all we had to do was just to be. Present with what we're present with right now just really present and not pushing it or hanging on to it but just really balancing on it what would that be take a little bit of Dhamma and reflect on that rather than something so complex so much to it something very simple take it into the heart ah this is all to me this is all conducive to refuge meditation taking it more deeply into the body, just feeling how the body is right now, how you know you have a body you might feel particular strong sensations yeah. just feeling out those zones of sensations, simple terms pressure, solidity warmth, coolness Mobility, rhythm, pulse or stillness flow, cohesiveness. <coughs> Feeling out any places where we recognise we this feels tense. Is it possible to relax down the arms? Is it possible to lift through the back? Is it possible to, to loosen the jaw? And it's coming more fully into taking the body into refuge, into the place of no pressure You no, know, and, medit- and as you come into the place of meditation, just recognising it's not a matter of suddenly snapping into position, but of you know feeling and moving and flexing and making yourself feel a little more comfortable and settled. And as you feel into your your bodily sense, overall bodily sense, also what is around me coming up to the skin. And the sensations, or the sense of what's around me, the face, the hands, the back. And just acknowledging it, any residual sense that there is to slightly clench or tighten against what's around me. Just imagine that what's around you is like you're sitting in a, a hot tub. Or, you know, ah, oh, yeah, this is better, you yeah. know. Or you're sitting in the sunshine, or you're somewhere where what's around you is really pleasant. You just feel how your body's sense can subtly shift to, oh, I didn't recognize, I was kind of slightly withheld there. Uh, so you can bring up images of what would be a bodily refuge for you. Yeah. Lying in bed, lying on a beach. Yeah. It's a sense in which, these are just the images that help one to recognise where, you know, the bodily sense of really feeling, I'm in the good place right now. the place that feels good right now. And what would that be like? How would the hands feel? How would the neck, how would the throat feel? How would the eyes feel? So it's just a short um, check-in and I'd like to suggest we do some standing meditation now, this is uh, particularly helpful, it takes the stress out of your knees and also it helps supports your back a little better, you don't have to put so much effort into your back. Yes. <coughs> And uh, actually, when the primary aspects of sitting, good sitting posture is the spine, everything else is around that. And standing meditation is a good way of, of uh, feeling your spine and taking the stress out of your spine because actually when you're standing, the spine doesn't have to support anything. Uh, standing meditation is about transferring the weight of your body down into your feet and down into the earth. So you're not holding in your hips or your shoulders or your belly. So that all that stuff that normally impacts upon the spine can be taken off. So taking up a standing position, feet firmly planted on the ground. Uh, If you've got... So spread your toes as if you're putting roots down into the ground. Take some time to flex, flex your knees, loosen up a little bit, yeah. and with this exercise we keep the knees slightly flexed, yeah. so that essentially the knee doesn't carry any weight, it's not a weight-bearing joint, so if you keep your knees locked, then they end up carrying weight and stress. If you l- unlock them, the weight goes right down into your feet. As you unlock your knees, also a uh, very uh, significant place is the tail, the sacrum, and the rump, the tail of the body. And we, in this particular meditation, you want to actually drop your tail as if you were, had a tail and you were tucking it down and even bet- between your legs, like a dog does. So, this helps to straighten out the sacrum and relaxes the. Big muscles in the buttocks, in the yeah, loosen there, so that instead of holding ourselves through these partic- this particular bunch of muscles and propping ourselves up on the bones, you let the weight come down. This is something to to cultivate because I would suggest that mostly when we stand, unless you're a a practitioner, there's a leaning on the hips. Lean one side, lean another side. Lean on the hips. Um, And so this this means that it kind of distorts the the small bones and the, the sacral lumbar region of the body, which gets a lot of wear and tear but so try to drop down through the, the pelvic floor dropping the tail letting the knees be loose relax the buttocks also try to notice if you holding yourself in the front of your abdomen breathe out try to drop release there be aware of the perineum, the between, between the legs and open the perineum so this is the place between the genitals and the anus that can also tighten up it's a kind of basic fear uh, mechanism when we're under pressure so loosen there it also helps you to your centre to drop a little more fully into the into the lower belly. Let the belly swing and blow and breathe out and breathe in. Let it let it distend and let it contract. Coming to the solar plexus. Imagine the solar plexus to be something this this center, just in the diaphragm, as something that can open, like a valve. Letting the shoulders come down the back as if you're shrugging your shoulders down, shoulder blades down the back. And the arms perhaps just a tad away from the sides of your body. This is if you're holding some blackbird's eggs in your armpits, as you probably do from time to time. (laughs) So you know what it feels like. This, this helps the chest to feel less uh, pressured. Yeah. Don't push anything out, but allow yourself to feel open and, and not needing to be defended in a safe place. So stay with it. the tendency. If we don't, if we don't keep aware of this, is the body can easily just sh- kind of contract out of a habit. You know, you find your shoulders tightening up. So letting your arms be long, with imaginary shopping bags in each hand. So your arms are coming down. Okay, and then start to loosen the head. So it begins with the, primarily with the jaw. Let your mouth even be slight, slightly open. Unclenched jaw. Tongue resting in the floor of the mouth. And then the eyes. The eyes, let the eyes, if they be open or slightly open, you can keep them closed if you find the eye contact. Um, impinging or intrusive but you can also keep them open in a kind of non-focused vacuous way there's oceanic gaze relaxing the eyes in an open way not in a kind of closing in shut down way Feel your way up into the forehead, and imagine you had a bandana tied around your head. And beginning from the centre of the forehead, the, the the third eye, just keep sweeping, stroking across your forehead, as if someone is stroking your forehead and untying that bandana around your head loosening the head, loosening the temples (coughs) and perhaps being able to feel the top of your head, the scalp which you don't normally feel if everything else is tightened up and we might enhance that by saying, you know, just sensing the space immediately above your head and feeling how open that space is there's all the room to grow nothing's pushing you down standing meditation let the breath be deep and long every time you feel a kind of flurry of tension or stress coming up just Relax a little more, breathe it out. Yeah. Breathe it out. Breathing the tension of the body, the tightness of the body, breathing it out into the space around. If you're yourself feeling rather, you know, stressed by this exercise, just allow yourself to bounce a little bit. Bend your knees, flex a little bit. Bob around. Let's take some of the rigidity out of meditation and see if you can just help yourself to um, fulfil this a little more fully as you get used to it. And perhaps if one is Being able to consciously release some of the the tightness or the numbness in the bodily sense, we are able to discern a kind of strong presence that rises up through the feet and up through the centre of the body, a kind of thread of stable strength that everything in the body is is, uh, built around. Feeling the overall sense of the body obviously there could be twinges and pangs but the overall sense of what it's like to be here is there anything settled about being here anything that's at ease about being here and dwelling in those tones letting yourself take in that, that quality the overall bodily sense of This talk was given by Ajahn Susido at New York Insight Meditation Center on June 5, 2005. It is an offering of the Dharma